Welcome to This Week in Water for May 25th, 2014. I'm Franny Halperin. And I'm Jamie Sudler. And here are some of the stories from this week's news. On Thursday, May 22nd, the United States Senate passed a drought relief bill that California Senator Dianne Feinstein muscled through without any community hearings and without any public debate. The fact that there were no public hearings on the bill has led to allegations that the legislation is being crafted behind closed doors to help special interests. The bill would ease restrictions on water exports from the San Joaquin-Sacramento River Delta to farms and cities in Southern California. In order to get Senate Republicans to go along, Feinstein dropped earlier proposals to spend $300 million on water relief projects. The bill now has to go to the House of Representatives, where Republicans earlier passed a bill that would send more water south and override the Endangered Species Act. Farmers like those with the Western Growers Associations who met with Feinstein last week welcomed the legislation. Many environmental groups are against Feinstein's bill. Joe Rosenfield of the Bay Institute told the San Francisco Chronicle that the Senate legislation will undermine the minimum protections that endangered steelhead and salmon need to avoid the possibility of extinction. The Natural Resources Defense Council called the bill short-sighted and warned that negotiations with House Republicans could make it even worse. According to Senator Feinstein, the bill does not override or trump any law. She has said that she does not support waiving the Endangered Species Act or the Clean Water Act. She said her bill provides operational flexibility for the Federal Central Valley Project and the State Water Project, allowing agencies to deliver water where it is most needed. Senator Orrin Hatch of Utah who ultimately voted for Feinstein's bill, said he would support an amendment to halt conservation efforts, saying it was a stupid approach to try and protect the environment while California's economy is hurting from the drought. He said, I think we have some of the stupidest people in the environmental movement. Pope Francis wants to save the planet. In a speech to a massive crowd in Rome last week, he asserted that battling climate change is right there in the Bible. Citing Genesis, he said God created the world, declared it good, and charged humanity with its care. More bluntly, he said destroying the earth is a sin. He told his audience that respecting nature is a Christian value and urged them to become, quote, custodians of creation, arguing that nature is not property which can be ruled over, but instead a gift for the benefit of all. He warned that a wealthy minority is exploiting the planet at the expense of the poor. He also counseled that there would be dire consequences for failure to combat climate change, saying that if humans, quote, destroy creation, creation will destroy us. The remarks come at the end of a five-day summit on climate change and sustainability at the Vatican, where scientists, economists, philosophers, and legal scholars met to discuss what the Church could do to address global warming. The Catholic Church has a long history of activism on behalf of the environment, so for many his speech was no surprise. This Pope does appear to be making environmental sustainability a key theme of his papacy. It's rumored that a papal encyclical is in the works that calls on the Catholic Church to step up measures to curb greenhouse gas emissions, calling it a, quote, moral imperative. 
Pope Francis certainly walks the talk. This Pope has been known to take public transportation and also has a biofueled Pope mobile. The political crisis in Ukraine and Crimea is having repercussions in areas of the world you might not have suspected. One area is the Arctic. There is an organization called the Arctic Council which is becoming increasingly important as ice melts and new shipping lanes open. The council bills itself as a forum to promote cooperation among the Arctic states with the involvement of indigenous communities and other inhabitants on common issues of sustainable development and environmental protection. The Arctic Council is made up of eight countries, Canada, Denmark, including Greenland, Finland, Iceland, Norway, Russia, Sweden, and the United States. An upcoming meeting of the Arctic Council in June has been canceled, but none of the involved governments is admitting it was due to the crisis in Ukraine. However, last month, Canada boycotted a meeting of the Council that was to occur in Moscow. Canada stated that its non-participation at that time was due to Russia's illegal occupation of Ukraine. In a rare display of bipartisanship, the Senate passed the Water Resources Reform and Development Act by a vote of 91 to 7. The legislation authorizes spending on inland waterways and port infrastructure, as well as tackles environmental restoration, flood protection, and includes measures to limit damage from storms. It now goes to President Obama's desk, where he is expected to sign it into law. The $12.3 billion legislation is the first major waterways bill in seven years. It authorizes 34 projects across the country, from deepening a port in Jacksonville, Florida, to dredging and expanding Boston Harbor, to funding oyster restoration in Chesapeake Bay. The bill also defunds old inactive proposals authorized in prior legislation. Farm groups and the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, among others, had urged lawmakers to pass the bill as a way to improve the infrastructure used to move millions of tons of grain to port for export, as well as to create jobs. The environmental group Food and Water Watch was less approving, calling the bill, quote, a raw deal for community water systems because it gives low-interest loans to private water companies and puts pressure on local governments to privatize drinking water and wastewater systems. According to the group's research, private control of municipal water systems leads to higher rates for consumers and inefficient service. Instead, Food and Water Watch advocates for a clean water trust fund in which communities receive a stable, consistent source of funding. Federal spending on improvements to water and sewer systems has declined by more than 80% since 1977 when adjusted for inflation. Up until now, the most profitable crop to grow in the state of Washington has been blueberries. Recently, however, marijuana has taken over the number one ranking. Cultivating pot is 500 times more profitable than blueberries. 
In an interesting twist to marijuana cultivation, the U.S. Bureau of Reclamation said last week that water stored in federal reservoirs or distributed in federally administered canals cannot be used to grow pot. The Bureau said that it will operate its facilities and administer its water-related contracts in a manner that is consistent with the Controlled Substances Act, which makes pot a Class I controlled substance. This would include locations where state law has decriminalized or authorized the cultivation of marijuana. So far, more than 20 states have legalized medicinal marijuana, and Washington and Colorado have legalized both medicinal and recreational sales and cultivation. However, the Bureau of Reclamation has no enforcement authority and will simply refer perceived violations to the Department of Justice. It seems very unlikely that justice would pursue water providers, however, if it is not pursuing cultivators and distributors who stay within certain guidelines. And finally, we at H2O Radio want to acknowledge that tomorrow is Memorial Day, the day when Americans honor those who have died while in military service. Memorial Day weekend is also the unofficial start of summer, and for many, the beginning of water-related activities like boating, fishing, and swimming. And what better activity is there than going to your favorite beach? With that in mind, here are some amazing facts about our friends, the jellyfish. First of all, they're not fish. Jellyfish first appeared about 650 million years ago and are found in every ocean, and some are even found in fresh water. Jellyfish are composed of more than 90% water. Jellyfish do not have a brain or a central nervous system, but rather are a loose network of nerves. Jellyfish populations worldwide have been exploding in recent years. In 2013, a cluster of jellyfish temporarily shut down a nuclear reactor in Sweden after they were sucked into a cooling pipe. The creatures are expected to be one of the few winners as oceans warm because of climate change. But before you write off jellyfish as the scourge of the ocean, there's this. An Israeli startup is developing a line of super-absorbent products made from the creatures. Absorbent products like diapers, medical sponges, and feminine hygiene products that currently contain synthetic polymers that take hundreds of years to break down in landfills. The result? Fewer jellies in the sea and fewer pampers on the land. A win-win as jellyfish diapers biodegrade in less than 30 days and they soak up twice the moisture. The cranky, hungry kids with sand in their bathing suits? That's still your problem. See you next week. This Week in Water is sponsored by Colorado WaterWise, whose mission is to promote the efficient use of Colorado's water. Learn more at coloradowaterwise.org.